are now listening to PursuitCast, the official podcast of Pursuit NYC. May it be an encouragement to you today and stir your soul for revival. And I'm part of Pursuit Leadership, and it is my great privilege and honor to share what I feel like God has been laying on my heart this season. Um, As he's mentioned, um, I'm married to my loving and wonderful husband, um, and we've been married for six years now, Jay, or Ezra, as he's known on Instagram. And um, he's currently in Colorado this weekend, um, ministering at a revival there, and I miss him so much. I wish he could be here. <laughs> um, yeah, and serving at Trudet by God's divine and mysterious will, and um, continuing studies at Alliance um, for counseling. So you may quickly find out that I have little to no preaching experience. In fact, this is my third time ever, um, and the first time was only four weeks ago. So, God is interesting, amen. Um, and His plans for our lives often takes us by surprise. I know that He's personally taken me for a ride this past summer, and it gets more and more fun and more and more uncomfortable. <laughs> as we continue to surrender all of our lives to him. So tonight I want to dive into this parable from Luke 5, 36 to 39. So if you want to open up your Bibles and your apps to Luke 5, 36 to 39. I'll be reading from the ESV version. It says, he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment. And the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wine skins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. God, do what you want to do here tonight. May your will be done in all of us, Lord. Use me as a vessel, as your mouthpiece tonight, God, because we want to hear from you. And we acknowledge that your holy presence is here. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so to break the ice, I'm going to give you some fun facts about clothing. Um, People who dress like their boss get a promotion quicker. Wow. So that makes sense, right? They always say corporate dress for the job you want, not the job you have. But I think I learned that from the office, actually. (laughs) It's still true. Um, here's another interesting one. People also temporarily boost their IQ by wearing a white coat. But it only works if you think it's a doctor's coat, not like a painter's coat or something like that. 
Um, and this one is so relevant for me and comforting to know that 92% of women, 92% own at least one item of clothing that they've never worn before. <laughs> is that true for anyone else? It's so true for me. Um, why do we do that? I don't know. Um, also, people subconsciously stand further away from those wearing unfashionable clothes. So if you notice that people are standing far away from you, like check your outfit. Um, and lastly, and I want to try to test this out one day, is that people walk faster when approaching someone dressed in red rather than in blue. So if you want someone to hurry, uh, put on a red shirt, maybe. <laughs> Um, so in this parable, Jesus also gives us a lesson about clothing, right, and wineskins. And in the Matthew version, he speaks of the clothing parable a bit more specifically, and he says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. So I know my husband personally hates it when he buys a t-shirt in the perfect size, only to find out that once he washes it, it just shrinks down and he can't wear it anymore. I know it's really important for guys to have like that right fit where it like hangs well, you know? Um, but now he knows that he needs to just plan to buy a size up in order for it to shrink down to the size that he wants. And in the same way Jesus is speaking of putting on a brand new or unshrunk piece of clothing on an old garment, and this means that the old garment has likely been shrunk already, right? While the new one has not. So when the garment is washed, the new patch will end up shrinking and maybe even destroy the whole garment altogether because it can pull away at the original fabric. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 37, And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. And I'm sure most of you know, who have been in the church already, uh, the scientific and historical reason why this is so. But I will give you a brief overview of why new wine needs new wineskins. So back, back in biblical times, wine was commonly stored in animal skins, like goats and cow hide and things like that. And in order to produce that alcohol content, the grape juice needed to be fermented. And basically, the fermentation process is when the yeast chemically breaks down the sugar into alcohol and carbon dioxide. And I'm gonna go more into that later and why I feel like it's significant for us. But as the carbon dioxide or the gases are being released, it expands the skin around it, right? And so once the wine skin is stretched out, it becomes brittle and it loses its elasticity. There's no more give in the wine skin. And so even though it might still remain a container, once the fermentation process is complete because there's no new gases that are being released, you would not be able to reuse those wine skins to make new wine. So if you tried to put new wine into old wine skins, they wouldn't have any more capacity to stretch with the gases that are released, and it would burst, like Jesus said. So what does this all even mean? Jesus is talking about not putting new cloth on old cloth and not putting new wine into old wine skin. What exactly is Jesus referring to here? 
And so first, I will give you an overview of what Jesus was talking about in context, um, historically, and then I'll go into what new wine symbolizes, excuse me, biblically. And lastly, I'll go into why this is relevant for us today and what context I feel like God wants us to apply this concept. And so first, what did Jesus mean in the context in which he was speaking? This parable came after Jesus had called his first disciples, and in verse 30, he was first questioned by the Pharisees about eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus responds in verse 31, that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Immediately, Jesus had contradicted the norm of expectation to not be associated with those who are unholy or unrighteous in accordance with their law. Then when they, when they go on to ask why his disciples were not fasting, Jesus responds by challenging their reasoning for fasting. It says in verse 34, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And then he goes on to tell this parable about cloth and wine skins. Jesus was referring to the fact that his followers would not be able to do both religious practices and follow him simultaneously. When he started his ministry, Jesus was teaching and doing things that could not be contained within the accepted Jewish system. He was constantly accused of blasphemy, right? by the Pharisees, and they were outraged that he, in fact, seemed to contradict every law there was. But actually, as we all know, he didn't come to reject the Old Testament, right? Nor did he come to bring an updated version of Judaism or adding to the religion when he was talking about the cloth being on the old cloth. Rather, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And to attempt to combine his followers within the limits of the old religion would be catastrophic. It would not fit together. And I believe it was a foreshadowing of the grace to follow his death and resurrection. And so this is what he was talking about with this new wine, unable to be contained in old wineskins. They had to completely throw out the old wineskin of the Jewish law in order to fully embrace and understand Jesus' teaching. So that's the real-life context that he was referring to. Now let's go into what new wine symbolizes biblically. And there are many references in the Bible, but it mainly speaks of the following. And this is taken from an article by Helen Calder. New wine speaks of renewed love and intimacy with God. In Song of Songs, there are often references to love like wine. <laughs> and you can read the book on your own and embrace these verses in the context of marriage. Amen? Amen. <laughs> but wine is mentioned many, many times, and it relates to that deep intimacy and fellowship that's possible with our Lord. New wine is also associated with harvest, blessing, bounty, overflow. 
And it says in Deuteronomy 11.14, Then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rain, so that you may gather in your grain, new wine, and olive oil. Also in Amos 9.13 it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And this is a vision associated with the restoration of Israel. And they're talking about the bounty and the blessing that was to come once Israel was restored. New wine also speaks of a spirit of celebration. Just like we see in Jesus' first miracle, right? Wine was essential for that party. And once it ran out, they were like, oh no, we need the wine to keep the party going. And then that's why he was called to perform his first miracle, right? Mary was like, Jesus, do something about this. He's like, woman, it's not my time. But then he ended up making the new wine, and the party continued. So it's associated with celebration. And finally, and this is what I feel like we want to focus in on tonight, is new wine represents the trials transformed into new joys. And this interpretation is the one in which that song, New Wine, from Hillsong came from. And actually, fun fact, um, Brooke Frazier, she never thought that this song would leave her prayer closet. It was really something that was for her. But uh, once it came out publicly, they really saw how it blessed um, the corporate church. Um, so that's a really cool fact. Because it is so personal, right, that song? So, new wine represents trials transformed into new joys. The Hebrew translation of new rum, new, new wine, or tirosh, means freshly pressed, squeezed, expelled, and trodden out. And so, don't ask me how I know this, because I just Google everything. I love to research, and so I research how wine is made. Um, and there are four major steps to how it's made, and I feel like each of the steps is relevant in how new wine is made and how that's relevant for us. So the first step is crushing and pressing. And so after the harvesting of the grapes, the farmers would crush the grapes underfoot on top of shallow wine presses, which were typically made of limestone, bedrock, on an incline. And so as they stepped on the grapes, the juices would flow down the fermentation pit and they would be stored there for the time being. This crushing and pressing process, I believe, represents our trials and hardships. And so when trials come, it hurts. And sometimes we feel like we're being crushed under the weight of it all, right? But through these trials, we can hold on to the faith that God is our winemaker. And it says in 2 Corinthians 4.8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And sometimes when those hardships and trials come, it is for our growth and benefit, for our sanctification process, to build up our character and to deepen our dependency and our walk with him. And so this next step, step two of the winemaking process, is fermentation, which I have previously mentioned before. 
And this is my favorite step for some reason because there's just so many things that go into the fermentation process. I'm kind of a nerd, but I'm not great at school, but I am a nerd. Um, <laughs> um, and I like to call this step the breakdown. And this is the next step in the winemaking process in which, as I previously mentioned, the yeast chemically breaks down the sugar into alcohol and carbon dioxide. And so I believe the fermentation process represents the breaking down of some strongholds in our life. And I feel like the sugar represents what we once thought was sweet, our old life, our fleshly pleasures, what we crave, right? Sweetness, what disguises the better that Jesus has for us. And so sometimes what breaks down is our pride, our self-protection, our self-reliance, our walls, our expectations, right? But I think especially in this process, what breaks down is our false securities, what we put security in. And so during the trials and hardships, the things in which we place our security is really tested. And so through this, God actually reveals to us, where is it that our security lies? Where is our trust? Where is our hope? Is it in our circumstance or in the people around us? Also, fermentation was done in the open air for up to a week during which even dust and dirt could mix in with the wine. They now call this terroir. It's fancy, it's French, which means the complete natural environment in which particular wine is produced, including factors such as the soil, topography, and the climate. And it also refers to the characteristic taste and flavor imparted to a wine by the environment in which it was produced. And so when we go through this kind of step of breaking down of our strongholds and the things that kind of hold us back, sometimes it can get really messy, right? And in the midst of the breakdown, other things can seep in and mix with everything, whether it be our past wounds, our unreconciled relationships, bitterness, things get added into the mix. And so in winemaking, all of these environmental factors can determine what kind of wine is produced. And these factors are said to develop the unique tastes that become characteristic to the wine itself. And so even though at times the kind of struggles you have seem unique to you, why am I the only one going through this? I believe it's to create a characteristic flavored testimony in order to bless and minister to specific people. And like Kevin mentioned at our last monthly gathering, he's talking about salt and light, being the salt and light of the world. We're supposed to bring out the God flavors on this earth. And if you didn't catch it last month, I encourage you to check it out on our podcast. It was an awesome message. So it is to create that characteristic testimony that is unique to you and unique to how God wants to use you. Also, according to an article I stumbled upon called Winemaking in Ancient Israel, hashtag Google's my best friend. <laughs> Interestingly enough, in the fermentation process, the ancient Jews didn't know what was going on. 
when it was like bubbling and brewing. They didn't know what was going on, but they did know that wine was being made. And so, in the same way, sometimes we have no idea what's happening. We don't know what's uh, bubbling and brewing and breaking down, and it's not available for us to see with our own eyes at times. But we need to ask God for trust and faith that this process is in fact creating something. Like how the ancient Jews knew that regardless that they didn't understand what was going on, they knew that wine was being created. That something was happening in the unseen. And it wasn't until the 1860s when French scientist Louis Pester observed the chemical activity under a microscope that people were able to finally understand this crucial step in winemaking. And in the same way, sometimes it can take a lot of time for us to finally look back and understand the process where God was bringing us in that season, right? Sometimes it can take years for us to look back and finally see where God was bringing us. And lastly, about fermentation. It is an absolutely essential step in winemaking, right? Without this chemical breakdown, there's no alcohol, which is the very content that makes it wine. Otherwise, it's grape juice, right? And in the same way, we, you and I, need this breakdown process. This is what builds our substance the rework of our foundations, the rework of our security, the very essence of our beings is changed in this process. And so the next step, third step, is clarification. And this is the step in which all of the leftover yeast and skin and seeds are all filtered out after it's been fermented. And so in the same way, after the breakdown process happens in our lives, we need to be purified, right? Sometimes there's still leftover remnants of our old self, of our old comforts that are remaining. And there needs to be a filtration process in which we leave our old selves, our old grave skins behind. Because we don't want that chunky wine, right? We want, we want that smooth stuff. I know most of you might not drink yet, but <laughs> you don't want to be swallowing like seeds and, and skin and yeast. <laughs> I don't want to say these In the same way, we filter out our leftover junk from the process. God needs to clarify and purify us. And finally, the fourth step is aging and bottling. And I believe that represents the maturing in our faith and the maintenance and the protection of our growth. And so after the wine is clarified, there is an aging process. And that represents the maturation that we need to go through and endure at times, even after growth has happened. And in the bottling, it's not so much so that we would hoard it away for ourselves, but to protect it and preserve it. They cork up the wine so that no air can get in or out, so no impurities can taint the wine, and it will be preserved for a very long time. 
And so, you know, as most of you know, the best wines are the oldest ones, the ones that have been preserved for a very long time. And so in the same way, we need to ask for a guard over our spirits to present, protect and preserve the growth that God has brought us to in that season. So what is the application here? What or why is this relevant for us now? And in what context does God want us to view this today? I believe that God has new wine for us today. All the things that new wine represent, new wine represents biblically. That means new mercies, new joys, new celebrations, new testimonies, renewed love and intimacy with God, harvest and abundance of blessing. And sometimes this new wine doesn't come in a pretty package. You guys all heard what the winemaking process is like. Sometimes it's painful. So what does this mean for us? This also means that we need to become new wineskins to be able to contain the new wine. We need to become a flexible container and be available for God to move in a different way at times. I forgot to mention this, but new one also represents the Holy Spirit. And I'm going off of my notes here, so if I stumble, forgive me. But basically, new wine um, represents the Holy Spirit. And even back when Pentecost happened, when the Holy Spirit came, they started speaking in all these different tongues and languages, right? And it was actually mockingly so that people were like, oh yeah, they're on that new wine. Yeah. So cool, right? And then I was, and then, um, and then so basically it's associated with, with the Holy Spirit coming. And that was a turning point, right? It was something so new, something so fresh that no one had ever experienced. And yet, this is God's will. Yes. So <laughs> um, we're gonna get stretched sometimes. It's gonna be beyond our expectations. And it might get tough. And it might be something that we're totally uncomfortable with. Just like um, the Jewish people were uncomfortable with Jesus' new practices, the things that he was teaching. And sometimes it might be, uh, it might feel like you're being pulled to your limits. But we will also expand. And I believe that God will expand our capacity so that we can experience those new blessings and do the work that he wants to do in and through us. Just a personal testimony of mine. Just three months ago, I would have never imagined that I could be in front of people like this preaching God's word. Ministry in this capacity seems so far-fetched. Um, my husband and I, uh, we really have a heart for ministry, but for me, I was just like, maybe when I'm older or wiser or more seasoned, but God's will is so far beyond our own expe- expectations. Amen. Amen. What he wants for us is far greater than anything we could ever want for ourselves. And it is all for his glory because it is nothing we have performed or could have accomplished by our own will and volition, even by our own religion. And it's all in his time 
and what He decides when He wants to ready us and when He wants to use us. And though, so through those hardships, my personal hardships, those three months, God has had expanded my capacity by having me just attack my fears head on every single day. And there was not a single day that I was uncomfortable or fearful in some way. But through this discomfort and through the challenges, so many of those fears have fallen off of me. Fears that I never had the guts to attack on my own. Fears that when confronted with, I brushed under the rug. I was okay with the new one, Lord. I was okay with the capacity I had. I was okay with the step back that I was at. But no, God wants us to become new wineskins to host that new wine that he has for us. And I hope this serves as an encouragement for you all and that will increase your faith to what God wants to do in you. Because God wants to do far greater things in you all. So I challenge you tonight. Are we allowing God to change things in our lives? Or are we remaining a rigid vessel, complacent in our old wineskin ways? And so as the worship team just comes up, I want to look at this last verse. Verse 38 says, And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. So I feel like this verse is talking about resistance. Why do we resist new wine at times? Just like the Jewish leaders resisted Jesus. It's because sometimes we feel safer in the old ways, right? When things have been tried and tested. Ah, the old is better. Why do we need the new? There's security in tradition. Just like the Pharisees found security in their religion. But as we talked about before, God tests our placement of security through the trials, through the crushing and the pressing. And what God has for us is so much better than our old ways. Once we have truly tasted what he has for us, we will never go back and say that our sin was better, that our old ways were better, that our comfort was better. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Says in Isaiah 43, 19. And it was really interesting that this past Wednesday at our midweek session, Pastor Sam was speaking about us entering into a new season. In the past, it was the lack that fueled the hunger. It was because we didn't have that we wanted more. But in this next season, he was saying that we believe in the increase to increase our hunger. More begetting more. And I believe it's the season of new wine for us. And he also spoke especially of the character that will sustain that breakthrough. I believe that was the the exact phrasing that you used in your post. And so in that way, I believe God is building up our character in order to host whatever new wine he has for us this next season. 
Also, interestingly enough, today's verse of the day on the Bible app was so relevant. And as we just go into prayer, we can really reflect on this passage from Romans 8.24-28. It says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they have already seen? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So as we just go into prayer, know with confidence that the Spirit is interceding on behalf of you tonight. That even though you don't know what season you're in or what state he's bringing you to, you can know that that is a hope that we can have, that the Spirit knows, and He searches our hearts. And there is a hope to look forward to. Amen. Amen. We wait for it patiently. And He calls us, it says in verse 30, He calls us, He justifies us, and He glorifies us. So let's just close our eyes right now. And just go into a time of reflection. What season do you find yourself in? Are you resisting the season in your life? Is there an old wineskin that you're hanging on to? Are there any old comforts that you just can't seem to let go of? as I was just praying into it today, I just felt like God is also asking some of you to revisit your past and reopen some of the things that were left unfinished in your hearts. Things that were left up to time to heal, but you're finding out that they weren't. He wants to make new wine out of those areas too. what he has for you. Sometimes it's so hard to see beyond our circumstance and our suffering, but we can know with assurance and faith that he is orchestrating all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So let's just pray right now. Ask God, what is this new wine that he wants for you? What is the season that you find yourself in right now? And even though there is, like Pastor Sam mentioned during worship, we can't see the end sometimes, but we will worship anyway. We will worship anyway through the unknown. And even though you find yourself in the unknown right now, ask God for us to see.
Thank you for listening to PursuitCast. For more information on the ministry of Pursuit NYC, please visit us on the web at www.pursuitnyc.org. Revival or bust.